Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Good morning. Like I said, my, my name is Jeff. Um, what I do for City Church, I usually uh, oversee our groups in discipleship and pastoral care. Um, as well as a few other things. Uh, because of what I do, you don't normally see me on Sundays. But occasionally, they kind of let me out to play on, on Sundays. So this is one of the few times uh, I get to do that. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, go ahead and kind of turn, uh, turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. While you're turning there, um, let me kind of just recap a little bit of where we're at in the middle of the series. We've been we're kind of coming to the, the end of our work series. And throughout the series, we've looked at multiple places in the Bible that talks about work. In week one, uh, we actually got one more week after this and we're done. Um, but one of the things that we're trying to accomplish with the series is to show you how the Bible's teaching should eliminate any doubt you have in the value of your work. That as long as you do work that fits with God's intention and where he wants the world to go, your work is valuable. Because here's the goal. We don't want anyone in our church saying the words, I just, when asked about their work. I just sell insurance. I just wait tables. I just watch children. I just do administration. No, it's, it's way more than that. Your work is partnering with God to take the world someplace. And from there, what we've tried to do is to put tools in your tool belt for the future. How you will think about and approach all the many aspects of work you do and give us a common language for how we approach our work together as a church family. We talked about the ability in Christ uh, to see our work as a calling, not to serve ourselves, but a calling to serve our neighbors. And therefore, we can put our whole heart into it. We talked about the disciplines of working hard and of the blessing of being tired and the discipline of resting and enjoying God and what he's given us. We talked about centering our identities in Jesus, so that we have stability and we are able to work with integrity. And last week, we highlighted our mission to bring renewal and reconciliation in all its forms to the plate in the spaces in which we work. And today, I want to add one more tool to your tool belt as we kind of navigate our work together. So to start us off, I want us to do something together. Uh, pull out something you can write on or something you can type on. I'd like for you to take just a minute right now and think, not write, just think about your work, all of your work, the things that God has called you to do to take the world someplace. So, so your job, if you have a job, but also think, of your, think about the work that you, don't, that you do that you don't get paid for, like your survival work, cleaning, grass cutting, washing, kind of doing repairs around the house. Think about those work. I want you to think about the ways that you give your energy to serve your household, your neighbors, your church. And here's what I want you to write down. What are the frustrations you have experienced with your work? What are the frustrations you have experienced with your work? Now, just to kind of quickly clarify, when I say frustrations, I'm not talking about um, 
sin that you may experience from like sexual abuse or, or any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the normal expected frustrations that you experience through work. What are those? Go ahead and write those down. Um, and don't put just, don't put just, it's hard. <laughs> um, why is it hard? Why is it difficult? It could be that you have a difficult boss. It could be that your work is tedious or monotonous and really boring. It could be that you're not as good as your work that you want to, as you want to be, or that you're not growing as quickly as you want to be. You could be frustrated with your work because you're underappreciated or underpaid. But go ahead and start writing those down. We're going to take a minute for you to do that. What are the things that you are frustrated with your work? Because that's, honestly, that's our question for today. That all of us experience some sort of frustrations with our work. So the question is, what do we do with those frustrations? And I think it's an important one because these things are the ways that you, day in and day out, live in the effects of what we talked about a few weeks ago in Genesis 3. The reality that while work is part of God's design, but it is also a curse now. It produces thorns and thistles. It's frustrating. It's difficult and it's tiring. So how should we think about and handle those situations when it comes to our frustrations with our work? And some of you are like this, like this right here. This is what I needed in this entire series. I wish I made the entire series on how to handle my frustrations. We could have done, uh, each week we could have done one frustration for what I experienced. So I'm going to do a little bit of unpacking here, um, and I want to kind of take a look at it and talk about it and how we handle our frustrations with work. So in James chapter 1, verse 2, James said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So James said, we will meet trials. Trials of what kind? Various. Various kinds. Big and small. Trials of all kinds. Serious consequential things. Smaller um, nuisances, trials of all different kinds. And the, and the word there for trial sometimes is translated as test. Trials can mean temptation. It can also be used to refer to circumstances around that temptation. Any adversity, any trouble, any frustration you experience. So I don't know what you put down on your list, but it qualifies. And James says something so lofty, so ideal that I almost come across as impossible for us. He says there's a way to meet those things with a sense of joy. Now, that's not calling bad things good, but there is a way that James is encouraging and pushing for. There is a way of viewing God and our lives in such a way that we have a unique perspective on frustrations big and small. So at this point, for those of us that haven't written James off already, we, we might be cautious thinking, okay, James, you got my attention. How in the world can I view my frustrations in that way? And he gave us the key to unlock that in verse 3. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says that trials, in whatever form they come in, though painful, can actually accomplish something for our good. That your frustrations and trial have the potential that ease and comfort 
in life do not have. They unlock something in our lives. Something produces uh, maturity. And that's something James has called steadfastness. Steadfastness, I'll define as this way. It's a power and strength that can handle anything that comes your way without it crushing you. It's a word used for Christian martyrs that have died while seeing hymns to God. The Bible uses the word patience for dealing with difficult people. In the same way, the Bible uses the word steadfastness for working through life's difficult situations and circumstances. It's an internal Holy Spirit-empowered power and strength of character and faith that can withstand anything and endure anything that life might bring. And we can do this without deteriorating into a weak and anxious spirit. It's the ability to say, no matter what comes my way, my God runs the world and he loves me and I belong to him. And he will get me through this and use it for my good and I know what awaits me on the other side of eternity. I think a great example is that Paul in Philippians 4, while writing this in in a jail cell, and Paul says, I've been hungry and well-fed. I've learned a secret to being content in any circumstance. Christ gives me strength. I mean, you can't stop this guy. You can't stop Paul. He was telling everyone about Jesus, and they didn't like it, so they threw him in jail. And he starts up with a jailer. He starts seeing Sims and telling the jailer about how Christ rose from the dead. And he was like, y'all can do whatever you want to me. God is going to give me what I need to glorify him so I'm good. If I'm out of jail, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. If you throw me in jail, I'm going to tell the jailer about Jesus. If you kill me, I go to be with Jesus. Either way, I win and you cannot stop me. Modern day theologian DJ Khalid will describe Paul's mentality as, all I do is win, win, win. Throw your hands up. Uh, Jesus says that, I'm sorry, James says that trials have this potential to unlock that in our lives, to develop and form character in us that ease and comfort and convenience cannot build. So in order to grow, we actually need things that are challenging, things that are difficult, things that are hard and frustrating and stressful. James is saying that when it comes to our faith and maturity as followers of Jesus, this is what trials would do for us. Pain is part of how God breaks through our pride and selfishness. Learning to bear burden is a preparation for life. In verse 3, James says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And I love, James says, you know this because it's everywhere. It's a principle that can be found everywhere. I mean, think about this. Like, think about the butterfly trying to break out of its cocoon. I mean, we kind of, we've seen this growing up in school, in elementary. Ever watch it struggle and fight? Do you know what happens if you help the butterfly out? It doesn't have the muscular strength to fly, so it dies. It needed to struggle to survive. Think about the military boot camp. The things they put you through are hard and difficult things, trials after trials after trials, because where they're about to go is hard. Think about, this is the entire motivational poster industry. If you want to get strong, you have to lift something heavy. There's no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. 
Uh, success is never owned as rented, and rent is due every day. I just realized every time I read a motivational poster, I think Mr. T is talking to me. I just realized that. I never knew that. That's my internal voice for motiv motivational posters. So, so that's the big idea from James 1, that trials can be a tool used by a sovereign, loving God to bring depth about us, to mature us, to produce character in us, to produce an unswerving faith in us. So let's take all of that and apply to the frustrations we experience in our work. Look back at your list, your particular frustrations with your work. You have two options as you look at that list. You can let those frustrations destroy you, or you can let those frustrations serve you. You can let them destroy you, or you can let them serve you. A lot of people, their frustrations end up destroying them. They become disillusioned and discouraged because they aren't as effective in their work as they want to be. They aren't making as much difference in the world they want to be. They lose heart. They lose ambition. No longer putting their heart into it. No longer trying to develop expertise and skills to do well in their work. For them, they see, it's just not worth it. I'm tired. Nothing is ever going to change. For some people, they become entitled because they work so hard and so long and the pain that builds up, they begin to think they're entitled to some sort of relief. They begin to cut corners and do unethical things to make something happen. They become entitled and because they've been frustrated for so long, because people have been ungrateful for so long, they just can't handle it anymore. For others, they become domineering. I'm going to force this to happen. I'm, I'm just going to bully my way through this. They become dishonest, unethical, they overwork, they become controlling. Some people just keep switching job every single time they experience any sort of frustration, and they just keep looking for that one job that won't be frustrating while sabotaging connections and relationships and stability in their life as a result. Their frustrations destroyed them, tore them apart, tore their life apart. And what James is saying here is you can make your work frustrations serve you. You see, when Jesus defeated death and rose from the grave, he used the devil's greatest weapon and turned it for good. Jesus defeated death by dying. He conquered sin by dying. Jesus put his foot on the devil's throat and said, what you meant for evil, I will now use it for good. And the burdens of trials of life become a tool in God's hand to shape us and build us because we serve a Savior that can turn what was meant for evil for good now. And Jesus, the things that you've written on your list, the frustrations that you have written down are the very things that God intends to use and grow you. I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to go through four different things how to make your frustrations serve you. The first one is see them coming. See them coming. Verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When, not if. 
And that's an important detail. Trials are inevitable. They're coming. They're unavoidable. Trials of all kinds. And there's nothing you can do to stop it from happening. Look, you can wear a helmet. You can uh, install alarm or load up on yoga or yogurt, whatever you want. All that is fine. I'm not saying those are bad. Go, go for it. But none of it's going to prohib- prohibit uh, frustrations from coming into your life. All work is now cursed. Our first parents got kicked out of the garden, and the way back in is blocked. The Bible actually says warrior angels called cherubim were set to guard and block it. And the reason I want to make a mention out of this is because in my experience, we often are caught off guard when trials and frustrations come our way, and we increase our pain because of it. It seems like we tend to operate as though life, whether it be our career or otherwise, are supposed to be trial-free, supposed to be frustration-free. We believe that if something is hard, that something about it must be wrong. If I'm doing the right thing, it should be easy. If God were really with me, it would be easy. My work is hard. I must have the wrong job. My friends are annoying. I need better friends. My marriage is difficult. I must have the wrong spouse. My kids are going crazy. It must be the gluten. (laughs) If I just do the right things in the right way, my frustrations will go away. That's the belief to a degree that all of us hold. But the reality is, no, they won't. The world is broken. We are broken. There's no going backwards to the precursed garden. There's no going back. You're not going to kick down the door and get back in because Honestly, I don't know much about your fighting skills, but when it comes to trying to fight a warrior angel, I, I just don't think you're going to win. The way out is forward, not backwards. Jesus came to die to pay for sin and break the power of the curse. He works now through us to medicate the impact of the curse and make his blessing flow through us as far as the curse is found. And one day with him is where our work is no longer cursed. But until then, see it coming. Don't be surprised when your work is frustrating. Don't freak out. The Bible told you that this will happen. When something goes wrong, don't panic. It was expected. We talked about this in our first Peter series a couple months ago. That The Bible told you that this is how it would go. Now it's a matter of faith as to whether or not you will trust God in the middle of it and believe when he says he is good and he will do this for your good. And he has a good purpose in the middle of difficulty. And some of us kind of experience to a degree of this in how we are raised. Some of us, our parents out of love, address all of our problems without us facing them head on. We were raised with a philosophy of preparing the path for the child instead of preparing the child for the path. Some of our parents were kind of snowplow parents, kind of removing any and every obstacle in our childhood. And that does more harm than good because a trial-free life actually prohibits our development. And I've, as a pastor, I've seen the cumulative effect of this. Over the years, the, the younger people that we have pastored, I've seen a pattern that kind of emerge. Too many of them cannot handle Um, when they're given responsibilities for something, when their supervisor puts appropriate amount of pressure on them to get their job done at the correct quality, at the correct length of time, 
they despise their supervisor. They're unable to handle the normal pressure and normal burdens of life. And when that happens, one of the trend is that they tend to have parents who remove pressure instead of creatively applying them. That the parents do not teach them how to handle responsibility. Children should have chores because they are part of the family. Now, given those need to be age appropriate, but they need to work so they learn the skills of doing what they're told and show up on time and stay until the job is done. Because if they learn how to do that, they learn how to do that well and do it with a good attitude, they will be highly employable for the rest of their lives. If they ever find themselves in a role where they carry authority, they will be a trustworthy authority and not an arrogant authority because they possess the character trait of humility. So hear me, work is cursed. And it's true for all of work. So when you choose a job, you're not choose, you're choosing your own set of problems. You're not choosing a, a frustration-free job. Every job has its problem. They're just different. Every job has different ways that they will press you. Every job has different obstacles. And the obstacles and pain may be different, but they're all still going to be pains and obstacles. So see them coming. Number two, go to God. Go to God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. Now, this is, this, what this looks like is going to God and says, God, I don't, know how, I don't know how to handle this. Will you help? God, I need wisdom and know how to proceed forward. Please help. And listen, when James is saying counting it joy, it doesn't mean enjoying the trial. You can be sad that your work is difficult. You can be sad when you're frustrated with your work. You can be sad when your job presents you unique and, and trying problems. You, you're allowed to do that. We're not, act, we're not called to act like as if everything is okay. The biblical category for this is lament. That when we go to God with our pain, with our grief, with our frustration. You got passed over for that promotion because of polit like political reasons. You go to God. You're feeling the pressure to do whatever it takes to meet the bottom line, but feel the quality of your work is being compromised. Go to God. Your boss chews you out for something that is not your fault. Go to God. Ambrose, who's an early church father, he says like this, show then your wound to the physician that he may heal it. Show then your wound to the physician that he may heal it. So James says, go to him with it. Go to God and ask for wisdom. Go to God and ask him to use the trials that you're experiencing to build you up and shape you who he wants you to be. In Psalm 145.14, it says this, the Lord helps the fallen and lifts up those bent beneath their loads. Let me finish this point by saying it a little bit more aggressively. <laughs> Too many people in our church family skip going to God and lament, skip going to God and ask for wisdom, skip going to God and ask for help. And all they do is tell other people that the frustrations they experience at work. They talk to other people who cannot do anything about it. You didn't talk to the one who can actually fix and bring healing in this area. You didn't talk to the one who can actually work through the frustrations for your good. 
If you have complained to other people about your work this week, but you haven't talked to God about it, you got it precisely backwards. When you don't talk to God and jump straight telling to other people, that's called whining and complaining. I'd use another term, but the other pastors would have to fire me. (laughs) But after you go to God, step three is invite others in. Invite others in. Once again, we go to God first. If you don't, you're expecting things from people that they cannot offer or deliver. But after going to God, bring other people in. That way, we're not going to other people primarily to vent and complain, but to ask for their help, guidance, and input on how our frustrations can be used to serve us. How we can respond to this well. In Jesus, we are a family, and part of our role is to help each other grow in Christ. God placed people in our lives filled with the Spirit to give us wisdom, discernment, and to help us. To bear with one another's burden, to mourn with those who mourn, to pray for each other. In fact, in James chapter 5, James says, The prayer of a righteous person, meaning righteous in Christ, is powerful and effective. And I think overall, we have a very healthy culture here in our church family. One of the comments I hear all the time from other people who are new is they say, I, I cannot believe how honest and transparent all of, everyone is. And honestly, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. That's a freedom found in Christ. So I, I want to celebrate that. So let me just give you guys a little bit of coaching on how to make sure we're stewarding that culture well in a life group setting. When someone brings up their frustrations they're experiencing, it is perfectly appropriate to express some form of sorrow when you hear that. I'm sorry. That sounds really difficult. Thank you so much for being honest about that. And let's remember that as, as, we, as we're honest with each other, but we're, we're, let's also remember that we're also called to help each other. Here, here are a couple questions that I would encourage you to ask to follow up with that, to actually help one another grow. The first one is, ask the question, how might God intend to use this to make you more like Jesus? How God might intend to use this frustration, this trial that you're experiencing, this pain that you're experiencing, how is God intended to use this to make you more into the image of Jesus, to make you more like Jesus? Another question asked in that setting is, what are the necessary steps for you to take to make sure that frustration that you're experiencing serves you instead of destroys you? What are the necessary steps for you to take to make sure that the frustrations you're experiencing serves you instead of destroys you? Because our role is simply, it's not simply just to be there for one another. It's to be there for one another as Holy Spirit-filled members of the family of God with a calling and responsibility to help each other grow. The people in our life cannot fix your work problems, but they can help you understand how God might use your work problems to grow you, to mature you, to prevent our frustrations from destroying us instead of having our frustrations serve us. We need hugs and we need help. Some people are all hugs and no help. You don't actually help anyone grow in Christ. Some of us are all help and no hugs, and that's a complete different problem. All right, the last one, number four, remain steadfast. Remain steadfast. James 1.12 says, 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life refers to the laurel wreath given to winners of an athletic um, event or games. It's, it's what you get at the end. says, you did it. You did the thing. Good job. You did it. Right now, God sees what you're, put, you're, what you're putting up with. He sees how hard it is, how difficult it is. He sees how much pain it brings you. He sees how much it grieves you. He sees and he cares. And he promises that none of it will go unappreciated. Your faithfulness will be rewarded. He promises that. So keep your eyes fixed on that day. So look, maybe you're not being paid enough right now. That, 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 that very might likely be true. You might, you might need to look around for other jobs. But in the meantime, don't miss the chance to learn that God is the one who actually takes care of you. Make your frustrations serve you. Maybe in your work, you're not appreciated enough. And you know, you're, you probably aren't. If you stay at home with, uh, with kids, you definitely aren't. And for now, you have the chance to grow in performing your work with God as your only audience and learning that just his smile is enough for you. You might find your work boring and monotonous. And look, let's be honest, some work can be boring. And God can use it to master yourself in such a way that you're able to become excellent at something that you're not particularly passionate about, that you don't particularly enjoy doing. A lot of life is making peace with things you don't particularly enjoy. Learning to do those things well when, you're passionate, when you are not passionate about them. Let your frustrations serve you. Someone less qualified you got promoted instead of you because of political reasons. Let that be an opportunity to activate within you a reminder that there's a future world coming when things like that do not happen. And they create a gratitude in you because you know it's coming. I have a friend who says she had a bad boss at her previous job and looks back on it as a lesson for her that when she becomes um, someone who is in charge, she understands that success is, way, is not as important as character and faithfulness. God has taught her through having a boss that was not great. And maybe you've got a boss and he or she is fine, but you always wanted to be the boss and it's a chance for you to learn how to be content doing what you're told, submitting to authority so that one day you're in authority, you are trustworthy yourself. Maybe the people you work with is awful. Maybe work is just hard. Maybe you aren't as good as your job as you want to be and you're not seeing the results that you want. Maybe your commute's too long. Let your frustrations serve you. Whenever work frustrates you, it can, it can serve to angle your heart towards heaven, detaching the fingers from their grip of earthly things. It can help you develop strength and perseverance to continue to carry something heavy. And look, when I, I totally understand when the, in the middle of frustration, there's something within us that says, why would God take me through something like this? Why would God allow anything that's this uncomfortable, this painful? I know God just wants me to be happy. I did all the right things, so therefore, why, none of these things should be happening. I understand these are easy thoughts to have, and while some of us will never articulate it that way, 
but if we're honest, that's kind of how we feel. And my encouragement for you is don't miss, don't be so focused in on the frustrations you're seeing, you miss out the bigger picture. That you have a heavenly father that's for you. That he sent his son, he sent his very best to die to make you his own. He's for you, he cares about you, he sees you, and you can trust him in the middle of your frustration. You can trust him in the middle of the trial, that he's actually working this for your good. I'm not telling you to not be frustrated. I'm not saying, I'm just saying don't let your frustrations destroy you. Instead, let your frustrations serve you. So to close our time today, here's what I want us to do. Take a look at the list of things that you've written down from the beginning of our time. I want us to spend some time right now bring those before Jesus. I want us to spend some time praying, God, I don't know how to handle this. Will you help me? God, I don't know how to proceed forward with this. Would you give me wisdom on how to do this well? God, I don't know. I don't see how you're working in this. Would you help me see that? Because the goal ultimately is we need to run to him who is actually in control, who is actually using all of this, all the things you've written down for your good. So let's go to him. We're going to do that right now.